This episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. You know, there are still some things we can't Google. I mean, you could try and Google your critical questions about HR, administration, and compliance, but there's just way too much at stake. You need to know you found the right answers. But in HR and payroll, the answers keep changing, and the questions never end. In Zenium's complete HR plus payroll service, you have a dedicated support team and they're backed by a larger team of more than 90 HR and payroll specialists who work together to make sure you can always find the answers to your questions. Schedule a call today with Zenium at ZeniumHR.com. Okay, today's episode, I feature Dr. Noelle Nelson. She is the author of Make More Money by Making Your Employees Happy. And in this episode, you're going to get an inside glimpse into how some companies survived and thrived during the pandemic by focusing on employee engagement. So learn to avoid common pitfalls and implement best practices so that you too can ensure your employees feel appreciated and heard. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I hope you enjoy the show. Talk to you next week. Dr. Nelson, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Brandon. Well, so we're going to talk about your book, Make More Money by Making Your Employees Happy. I'm all about making employees happy and making the workplace better. That's why I named this podcast Transform Your Workplace. I want a great workplace culture and all that. And I'm excited to talk about your book. So let's let's dive in. Why do you think some companies experience profit, productivity, low turnover, they're experiencing all these things while others are struggling. What's behind all that? Well, first of all, I want to point out this is actually the second edition because I was already writing about all this in 2012. (laughs) (laughs) And I did the second edition because as we all know, the pandemic has impacted employers and HR people and uh, mom and pop bosses, everybody ferociously. So it seemed timely to come out with more current research. And the reason has stayed the same, Brandon, which is that companies that thrive kind of no matter what are companies who truly appreciate their employees. And appreciation is vastly different from gratitude, um, which is what I lay out, if you will, in the book. And what does appreciation look and feel like in your mind? Is is there a way you define it? Is is it behaviors that um, the organization typically experiences throughout the culture. I'd love to hear more about that. Yes. And you, you, you hit the nail on the head, Brandon. It is definitely a set of behaviors and actions and an overall attitude. The attitude is that you, employer, HR person, truly value your employee. And that's really different than gratitude. Gratitude is somebody did something good, nice, whatever, and you go, thank you, which is marvelous. We could all use more gratitude in our lives. But appreciation is a very different thing. It is, to give you but one example uh, that I lay out, is providing clear direction. People can't live up to what they don't know. And that sounds so ridiculously basic. But too often what will happen is an employee comes on board and the manager who's already stressed out, overworked, and so forth, will say something like, well, you've done, uh, you've done, PR before, I, I, you can handle it. Here's the file. <laughs> right. Have at it. Yeah. 
And of course, the employee at that point, being a new hire, is not going to go, what? Is simply going to go, yowzer, and snap to it as best they can. But that's not going to work either for the employer or for the employee, and certainly not for the satisfaction of the client slash customers involved. It's interesting you brought that point about clarity because I feel like with a lot of organizations, maybe some of them are hybrid or fully remote during the pandemic. I would imagine that unclear direction during the like a new hire onboarding phase would be detrimental to those new employees. They probably feel lost. Absolutely. And then let's talk about what's happened a lot during this these last couple of years is jobs have been morphed, two jobs into one kind of thing, mm-hmm. sometimes three jobs into one. And people are like scratching their heads. The thing is, employees want to do a good job, which I think management just sort of doesn't always realize. They really want to. And it's up to management to help. So that's interesting. You said that, you know, some jobs are morphing into, you know, two jobs into one. Is that just the nature of people leaving and then can't backfill it fast enough? And so it's like, oh, well, so-and-so is competent. Let's have them do these tasks too. Is that what's happening? It's some of that. It's also that many companies are at least partially going to Zoom as a ordinary course of business now. And that has changed things too, because sometimes the employer will think, well, there's no commute time involved anymore. So what the heck? (laughs) Here, do this too. And that's just not fair. Right. Well, let's talk about some of the companies that are doing really good things. So you you list out some great places to work, you know, those that are making that list. And I think you know, you're hearing some of the feedback about why they're making this list. I'd love to know, like some of these organizations that you highlight in the book, what are the main drivers or why these employees are so happy and why it's a great place to work? What are you hearing? Well, to take what is probably the classic example and considering the fact that they survived through the pandemic, meaning they're still on great places to work is Southwest. Mm. Southwest Airlines has been a great place to work since great place to work existed. Even through the pandemic, even through the first years that Southwest lost money, which is unheard of for Southwest. And the reason is they, above all others, understood from the get-go that a happy employee literally leads to more productivity, more profits. And so employees are listened to. Now, will you think, well, sure, I listen to my employees. Do you really? Do you? For example, right when they started, Southwest got a reputation for fastest turnaround in the airline business. We're going back several decades. But the reason for that is an employee said to them, gee, I know we've lost one of our five airplanes or four. I don't remember exactly, but it was very few. Maybe if we did X, Y, and Z, we could get our turnaround time faster and still fly all our routes. And Southwest went, okay, let's let's look into it. That's what I mean by listening to your employees. Your employees are the ones in the trenches. So when they come up with something, First of all, they need to be encouraged to come up with something. It can't be the trickle down, right? Only the top knows what to do. And you peons, you better just toe the line. It can't be that. Employees will not accept that anymore. And they really do have great ideas. If you are open to that, have a culture where it is encouraged, where you reward people for it, and where you actually implement and acknowledge their contribution. Yeah, I love that idea because a lot of organizations probably aren't developing some sort of feedback loop or a mechanism for capturing you know, great ideas, as you, you're suggesting. 
Is there a, an ideal way of opening that up and capturing feedback from employees? Is it through surveys? Is it suggestion boxes? One-on-one? Like how does, how does that information come from the bottom all the way up to the top? Frankly, it has to start with a culture. And the culture is from the top. A culture is more important than the vehicle. So for some companies, it's going to be, nowadays, it's a virtual suggestion box. It can be that. An open-door policy is great. A manager or a supervisor asking how would you see this done better? What would make this easier for you? And then literally him or herself going up the chain saying, you know, John or Jane Doe suggested that we use X software, we implement blah patch or whatever, we reshelve everything this away. What do you think? Should we try it? In other words, it really almost doesn't matter what the means are to get the information up the chain. It matters that there are means and they make sense to the employees involved. I was going to say, why in the book did you write that suggestion boxes are often misused and abused? People doing it the wrong way and what you're suggesting now, is there a better way of capturing it? Frankly, it's not the suggestion box so much that is at fault. It's the ignoring of it. (laughs) It doesn't do a damn bit of good, pardon my French, if it's nailed to the wall and nobody ever opens it up. Or they open it up and go, yeah, yeah, whatever. And it goes straight to the circular file. That's the problem with the much used and abused, meaning employees Mm. can put stuff in there virtually or physically all they want if there isn't somebody who's literally going through it and saying, hmm, let's look at this. And then this is what's so important, Brandon, acknowledging the individual employee and or team that came up with it, recognizing them openly within the company and doing something about it, even if it's not the exact thing. That's not the point. So let's say, let's take a warehouse. Let's say a team, an employee team who does a certain shift says, you know, we think that if we shelved items A to Z on row one, we'd be more efficient. And so that gets up the chain because this company is listening and they recognize that, you know, financially we can't do that. But what we could do is move items A to F over on row one. Would that help you? So that it becomes a conversation, not an edict. Yeah, I think that's what's missing with any sort of feedback or surveys that employers are capturing. It's not a 360 experience. It's not a conversation. It's very one one directional. And I think when, when employees are providing really useful ideas and feedback, to hear how it's been received and, and what employers are going to do about it, I think would probably give employees an opportunity to keep doing it. And I think it would open up the culture a lot more. What do you think about that? Well, frankly, it it drives engagement. Right. It just does. When you know that whatever you did actually contributed in some way, shape, or form, a little bit, a lot, whatever, to the company's success, you were a part of that, and you're acknowledged for that, heck, you're going to do more. Because that's how we go. That's how we are. Let's go back. Uh, you, you were talking about how we need to be clear with employees about what it means to be successful in a role. And it really, especially in the, the onboarding process, how do you really, you know, ideally set employees up for success and be clear? Is there is there a method that you use to set expectations so they know what, what it's like to be successful in, in a role? You can think of it, if you will, Brandon, as a three-part process. Some people respond best to that which is written. They also can refer to it, which is nice. Some people respond best to that which is said, which is a little bit iffier because it can be misheard and not necessarily referred to again. And for sure, people respond to when somebody comes and says a week later, 10 days later, did that work for you? 
So my suggestion is use all three. Make sure that the directives, the instructions, the whatever you want to call them that go into doing this particular job or this particular task are written down. That's one. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be bullet points, but are written down in some form. Secondly, that they are reviewed in words, you know, that you go and speak to said employee and make sure, is this clear? Do you understand this? Is there anything about this that's confusing? Check in with them. Again, we're back to conversation. And thirdly, a week, 10 days, whatever is reasonable given the job requirements is to come back and say, okay, so is this part of what you're doing working for you? Is this part, you know, where do you need help? Is there anything I can improve for you? So it's kind of three things. Do you uh, like a particular cadence with with that kind of conversation with an employee? It, every week? Is it daily huddles? I, I've heard it runs the gamut with these types of conversations, but I'm wondering if, if you found a particular cadence that works really well. Yes, it's called Ask the Employee What's Their Preference. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to come back to that a lot, Brandon. People forget that employees are people too, and that every employee is a unique individual, which is sort of an oxymoron, but they are. And therefore, employee A is going to say, if you come near me more than once a week, I'm going to scream. Another one is saying, you know, I'm really insecure, or it works best for me if you check in with me like every two days. Is that okay? So... I, I don't know. No, I think it's a great point because I think too often leadership teams, managers, they're trying to project what what their desires are on new employees and and try to do a one size fits all. So I, I love that idea of just asking them what they prefer because not every employee is the same. That's for sure. And let's look at the way our culture has evolved over the last decade. Everything is individualized, right? Shopping networks or whatever you want to call them, they target you by what you've already bought. They're paying attention to your unique preferences. You're asked, no matter what you sign up for, how would you prefer this? So we have become acculturated to, hey, my individual preferences matter. And you know what, Brandon? They really do. You want a happy employee, you want to up your profits, then pay more attention to what your individual employees want. And that doesn't mean that you have to nanny them to death. You know, one wants lattes and the other one wants tea. It, it's not quite like that. But looking at it from a work perspective, what do they want? What feedback matters most to them? For sure, it's using their name. I can give you that as baby basics. That's where Jim Senegal of Costco really scored with his employees. He knew everybody's name. Now, they all had name tags. That sort of helped. But he would address them by name. In other words, just because you wear a name tag, I mean, I make an effort. Sometimes I feel strange because I don't want people thinking I'm looking at their chest. But I make an effort to use people's names to thank them, the cashier, the barista, whoever, because that's the single most important word in any language, your name, Brandon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I, I fully agree with that. So what about the employees that are struggling? Not everybody's going to be happy. Not everybody's going to be engaged. But, you know, as a, as a manager or leader, how do you support those employees that might just be having a hard time, especially, you know, right now, it seems like we're all dealing with something at some different level. So how do you make, how do you turn them around and, and make them happy, engaged and productive? You ask, how can I help? You start not with, you're doing a horrible job. You don't start with that. Right. You start, I know you're capable of great work. I just know it. I saw it over here and over here and over here. How can I help you now? Not even, but you're doing a blankety-blank job. Just go straight from, I know you can do this. I've seen you do it. How can I help now? 
What do you need from me? Rarely will you hear more money. Yeah, back to the conversations, it's, it's a productive conversation versus I think often managers want to focus on the negative, the what they did wrong or the behaviors that they're, they're seeing versus you're flipping it around. It's what do you need? What resources do you need? How can I help? What can, what can we do to turn this around together? Yes. And do you know the most powerful thing you can do to get an employee engaged is to catch them in the act of doing it right. Oh, yeah. Right. And that's what managers forget. That's why people hate being looked over their shoulder because they think that it's to look for something wrong. But if your manager looks over your shoulder and goes, oh, that was sweet. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> You're going to glow. Yep, absolutely. Okay? We do. We thrive. And frankly, it doesn't matter whether you're a puppy dog, a baby, a grown human adult. It doesn't matter. We thrive on genuine appreciation. This is good parenting advice, too. You know, my, my kids are eight and nine years old, so I, I got to take some notes from, from that. <laughs> Make sure I catch them doing something good and not something yeah. that they're not supposed to be doing. Yeah, because they'll, <laughs> they'll, they will. They'll glow, Brandon. They'll rush to do it again for you. And again, this is not about manipulate. I don't, I have to be careful because I don't want people to hear this as, oh, goody, I can manipulate my employees. Right. Well, I suppose you could. But what we really are looking for here is a culture where you appreciate people, which then gives them the foundation, the support to do their best for you. Like, I, th I think what happens to if it takes uh, culturally, like if they're treated that way, they're likely to treat others that, that same way and catch people doing the right things and appreciating them for what they're doing. Correct. Yes. So you wrote that all work and no play makes for unhappy, unproductive employees. So how might we go about adding some fun in the workplace? Well, it will depend, of course, on the company, on the kinds of things. But for sure, if you just at the outset recognize that your employees have lives outside of their job, and maybe ask sometime, so what do you like to do with your time off? And if you get the answer, what time off? You know you're in trouble right then. But generally, people will, will say, oh, gosh, you know, I like to play golf or haven't had any time off in forever. I've got two toddlers at home or whatever it is. It's an intro into understanding what might benefit them. And so then you have a wide open field. You say, well, if you had your druthers, would you prefer... Uh, you know, an arbitrary Thursday afternoon off, or would you prefer a gift card to the local Arby's? I mean, you can ask because again, people are unique. The important thing is that you've recognized they have a life and you are willing to support that in whatever way makes sense for the company from a budget point of view and, you know, operational point of view and for the employee. So some of the companies like Google and such have gyms, right? Right there in the workplace because they found that that works well for their employees. Well, not all of us can manage to do that for our employees and it may not be what they require anyway, but they may just go Yahoo and give me a Friday afternoon off, you know, if things are running well and I buttoned up my work or whatever. You wrote that happy and successful people at work, they need psychological well-being. What does that mean to you? I, I've heard psychological safety. Is that, is that the same thing? And, and what does that look like to you? Psychological well-being, to me, means the opposite of a toxic workplace. Right. <laughs> so if we tried to figure that out, it would look like someplace where it is understood that people will sometimes be five minutes late. And if they can catch up their work, we don't kill them for it. It is understood that some people like to come in five minutes early 
because they like a couple of seconds of quiet. Psychological well-being is respecting that we are people with needs. And one of the most basic is for what I call warm, safe, and dry. In other words, an environment where you are welcome, an environment which is safe, and dry is just my way of saying that doesn't have, you know, leaks in the roof. But it's psychological well-being is nothing more or less than that feeling of I'm warm, safe, and dry. I'm welcomed here. I have an environment that gives me sufficient resources for what I need to do. I don't have to beg, plead, grovel to get ordinary resources or permission to use my lunch hour for a medical appointment that may run over 10 minutes longer than my actual lunch hour. It's those sorts of things. So if you're speaking to leaders right now, and they're not all created equal either. That's the, that's the thing about the psychological well-being idea is it seems like it'd be you know easy for me as a manager to like make sure that people have what they need, that they feel safe, warm, dry, you know, all the things that you just described. But I'm wondering if there's something systemically within an organization that we like leaders, senior leaders need to be doing to make sure that all managers are acting and behaving this way. Does that make sense how I'm describing it? Of course it, it does. And, and the first thing would be for leaders to treat their managers that way. Yeah, right. I mean, really, <laughs> does you think down. about it. A good manager is often browbeaten, hassled, harassed, and shoved in a corner between a rock and a hard place, which is the last thing you want to do with a good manager. And a good manager is not an easy thing. A good manager needs to be both a people person and an administrative guru. That's not easy. So yeah, it starts at the top. And often what happens is leaders may have started out their career 40 years ago and are not as in tune with what current workforce needs and wants. And one of the things I did in this second edition is I took a look not only at my boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials, but I went to my Gen Zers because life changed between 2012 and today. Yeah. And so it's important, and I'm obviously not a sprout. I've been around for a while. It's important to take a look at who's in the workplace now. How are they different? And leaders are often challenged when it comes to seeing the world that way. They because they are successful, often think, well, the way I did it was good enough for me, and often in an undertone and for dad and grandpa, so it should be good enough for you. Well, not necessarily so. That's why we have droves of younger people leaving the workforce. Yeah, that's why I love what you're describing with just having conversations with people and, and building those relationships, because the last thing you want to do as a leader is be out of touch and if you're not having conversations with the, you know, the newer generations and people that are in a different place in their career, there's going to be a lot missed by leaders if they're ignoring that. So I, I love the, the section on the generations at work because what do we have four different generations in the workplace right now? It's, it's pretty wild. And, you know, the thing is, is not to forget that I'm going to use Southwest just because it's such an easy um, example for everybody to relate to, is that Southwest has been able to do this to the tune of great profits for decades through the recession, through you talk about it, they've managed. Literally, this was the first year, or excuse me, 2021, was the first year that they did not turn a profit. Well, it's amazing what can happen when you treat your employees good, that they actually take care of your customers too. And that's where in the title of your book, Make More Money, well, that's how you do it, is you treat your employees good. They're happy and engaged. They're treating the customers good too. Absolutely. And the thing that too many leaders think is that they, if they just throw more money at them, but you see, certainly sufficient monetary compensation is absolutely critical. You would not want to raise your kids 
without having a decent income. But once that level is there, really what matters more is recognition, respect, and reward. I'm glad you brought up recognition. I'm a huge fan of recognition programs and just other little tactics. And you wrote that it's easy, it costs nothing in in most cases, but it's often so lacking inside organizations. What programs or tactics or anything that have you seen from a recognition standpoint that you might encourage to those listening to say like, this is easy, you can implement it today and probably can integrate it with throughout the culture. This is going to sound so simplistic, Brandon. <laughs> I'm all about simple. Greet everybody that you pass on your way in the parking lot, in, in the hall, whatever, with their name and a smile. I love that. That's so easy. <laughs> That's recognition step one. It doesn't take anything, but it does take a moment of thought. And that's what's lacking is when we are too driven by profit or productivity, we lose the human connection. And it really is the human connection that matters now more than ever. This is a service economy, whether we want to think of it as such or not, because companies A, B, and C are all making virtually the same widget. So why is the customer or client going to go to company A versus C? It's going to be the level of service. Service comes from what? A culture of appreciation. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Dr. Nelson, this has been such a fun discussion. Your book is called Make More Money by Making Your Employees Happy. There's so much more in the book that we didn't even cover, but I really appreciated having you on. Congrats on the second edition of the book. Um, Where can people learn more about you, connect with you, anything? And you've got a a ton of books I believe you've written. So maybe you want to highlight a few that might be relevant for this audience too. <laughs> um, well, frankly, the most relevant for this audience is make more money by making your employees happy and preferably the current second edition because it has all the, the updated research. But my website is called very simply noelnelson.com and all my books are listed. The other one that might be of interest is called I Survived COVID-19, What Now? How to Thrive and Succeed in the post COVID world. Uh, And other than that, well, you know, there's a lot of them, as you said, Brandon. So, and articles and all sorts of freebies all over the website. I love it. NoelleNelson.com. Dr. Nelson, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Brandon. 